You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 161. This was such a fun one to get to record because I got to hang out with one of our SEED team members, Mariana. Mariana is a school psychologist and a mom of three. She is Mexican-American, and she is sharing today about parenting with different cultural backgrounds, different experiences in childhood and how they can show up in parenthood and then how to get on the same page with your partner, how to navigate these conversations. Mariana is the gal leading our village membership. She recorded our reparenting and tiny humans, big emotions courses in Spanish, and she supports the village every single week in doing this work. She's such an incredible human, and I love learning from her. She truly lives and breathes this work. She works hard to put it into practice and analyze and challenge those norms that she might be bringing from childhood or examining norms that her partner might be bringing from childhood so that they can get to a place of collaboration. And I just think they have such a beautiful way of co-parenting and and navigating partnership. I think this is really challenging when we were raised in families that have different practices, when we were parented differently from how our partners perhaps were parented, because we're all going to bring stuff from our childhood that influences how we show up as adults. And finding common ground or having these conversations means taking a look at who we are and what we are bringing to the table. I'm super duper excited to share Mariana with you and also excited because we're going to bring her back for another episode this year to share about her journey as an immigrant to the U.S. and how you can talk to kiddos about immigration, things to be able to note She has opened my eyes to so much, and again, I'm so excited to share her with you. She's one of my favorite humans and such a dream to get to work with on the SEED team. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today is such a fun day for me because I get to hang out with Mariana. She is our Spanish programs director and she supports our villagers in Tiny Humans, Big Emotions and Reparenting and our coaching. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so jazzed that you're here. Mariana and I got connected. She had attended like the the live workshop back in May, right? Right. And reached out and was like, I want to make this stuff in Spanish. And I was like, let's do it, babe. And immediately, like right after our first conversation, I was like, oh, I love this human. (laughs) And it's just been love ever since. And such a natural fit into the Seed Village and on the Seed team. And we are so blessed to get to have you and hang out with you all the time. Thank you. I feel the same way. I mean, the first time we talked, I was, it was so comforting and it just felt so homey. Like, huh, that was so easy. Yeah, that's how I felt too. It's so nice when it just feels right. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell the village a little bit about who you are and your background? Sure. I was born in Mexico and I came here, you know, when I was 12 years old. And uh, right now I'm currently a school psychologist at a high school. I've always loved the teenagers. When I was deciding what age group to work with, I always went to the ends of the spectrum, either the really, really tiny ones or the really, really older ones. Not that I don't like the middle ones, but, you know, I just find the extremes more challenging. But yeah, I've known I wanted to be a school psychologist since I was a senior in high school. And so it's been kind of a long road to get here, but I've enjoyed every 
every step of the way in my professional life. And at home, you know, I have three kids that are two, four, and six. And so they're right in the age where all of this stuff is so applicable and it's, it's my daily life. Yeah, totally. You and another gal on our team both have kids like the same ages. And it's so fun to just see mm-hmm. like, yep, the same thing's happening across the board. It's a circus every day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I like you the other day, you guys had been on a call together, the two of you, and you were like, yep, there was screaming in the background of one in the background of my house. And it was just like, this is great. This is just life. It was normal. And she could tune my kids out and I could tune her kids out and we still got together and got it done. And then at the end of the call, I was like, okay, I have to go because my kids are stripping. So we'll see you later. She's like, okay, bye. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Team seed. So I, you and I had been chatting uh, about what it's like in your experience in being in a bicultural family, your husband's not Mexican American. And so you're raising kids with two different cultures. And I think so many folks in our village, even if they are both from America, might be raising kids in Tumor cultures. And you and I were chatting about it and I was like, stop talking to me. I want to record this as a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And so thank you for joining me to do it, but let's dive into it. You said you came here when you were 12. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure like as you're navigating now parenthood, so much of what we know that we bring into parenthood is from our social programming, from our childhood, from our cultural context. And you're to have a partner who has a totally different cultural context, navigating that at the same time. I think it's hard enough for us as individuals to navigate that, but then to bring in like, and here's a different cultural context is just an added like challenge, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be challenging, which I think that's where communication comes in. And you have to talk about these things before you even decide to get married or have a family and say, my expectation is to teach my culture to my kids, you know, and it's their choice to accept it or reject it, but I want to do my part and offer it to them. And we did have that conversation, you know, and and I said, these are some of the things that are traditional for me. And he asked questions and asked to understand it. And not to say that he was going to say like, nope, we're not doing that because then I wouldn't be here. Right. (laughs) Um, But it was something that had to take place. Yeah. I think it's, it's part of the, again, it's, it can be a challenge, but I see it more as like work. You have to work at it just like any relationship. If this is just another layer that gets added on to it. Yeah. And what does it look like for you as you're like diving into your own kind of reparenting work and analyzing things. I think so many folks in our village, you you become a parent and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, like I'm opening my mouth and my mom comes out and that's not (laughs) always what I want or whatever, right? Like that you find these habits and patterns coming out in our parenting that are from our childhood that we're starting to realize like, what do I want to continue on? What patterns do I want to rewrite? How does that come up for you also cross-culturally? Because you're living right now in a space that is white dominant culture and how do you like hold on to your culture and also navigate the reparenting work that is challenging for sure you know being in an area where there isn't a lot of um latino people latin latin people um i feel like i have to be super mexican sometimes so that my kids get you know a little bit of you know that culture but it's also infused in our everyday life you know, our meals are, well, first of all, I love cooking, right? And so for me, comfort food is Mexican food. And so a lot of the time we'll make American meals and Mexican meals, but then we'll get creative and do, you know, something Japanese or uh, Mediterranean. And so I think at least through the food we're, we're living in, in that culture. And then we do things like for birthdays, we sing in Spanish and in English. And the kids don't know the Spanish song yet, but you know, I'm the only one singing, but I'm like, there's purpose for this. One day they'll join me. <laughs> you know? It's all for something. I feel like that's most of parenthood. This is all for something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day, one day it'll pay off. Um, and, 
you know, just like little traditions for Mexican Independence Day, we talked about it and we had Mexican food. And then for now, Dia de los Muertos, we had an ofrenda in our house. And, you know, they were super excited about it. And like I tell my husband, my job is to offer them my culture. And I don't know if they'll reject it because they might, they might think, you know, this is my mom's, this is not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to be prepared for that. And I don't have to, you know, I have to be okay with that. But for now, I feel like my job is to just expose them to it as much as I can. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that that's a very hard approach to take just personally of like, I'm going to let go of the outcome. That's impressive. Uh, I think with so many things in parenting, again, like letting go of what's the outcome going to be, I'm just going to offer it. It's so hard to do. How has it been for you as you're navigating this? You, you live in Ohio, so not, I'm assuming, a very culturally diverse space. Well, I guess maybe where you are in Ohio would vary. When I are, it's Ohio. I grew up near Ohio, actually. We had like a soccer tournament there every year, but I was near like Akron, Ohio, which is just like aggressively white and small town at least where I would go like near Akron, this small town to play soccer, whatever. That's like my perspective of Ohio. So maybe expose me to a different one. Well, it's kind of nice because we're in a pocket where there's a big university. And so that brings in a ton of diversity. And that has been really comforting. Moving from Chicago, that's what I was really afraid of, um, that my kids wouldn't be exposed, not just to our culture, but any other culture, you know, because Mm -hmm. when I went to school, I was an ELL student, which meant my classroom was other students that were learning English, and there were students from India and Russia and Poland and Venezuela, you know, and I really loved that. Mm-hmm. And moving here, I didn't know if my kids would have that same opportunity, and I didn't want them to be the only ones or for them to walk into a room and say, nobody looks like me or nobody knows what it's like to know two languages. Um, but there's a lot of, like I said, there's a, a lot of diversity where we are, which is nice. You know, even walking in the grocery store, we see people that look different, that talk in the different languages, which is a big deal for me. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, um, you know, I was thinking, as you were saying that in the cultural appropriation versus appreciation episode with Dr. Lester, he noted how the only folks in the U.S. who can live within just their culture here uh, are white folks. That like white folks can be in a bubble where they're not exposed to any other culture. And that's not true for anybody else in the U.S. Um, I think it's important for us to keep in mind. And it's so true because even when you look at predominantly Latin neighborhoods, right? It doesn't mean that it's all Mexican or Venezuelan or Argentinian. It's a mix, you know, and you're going to get clumped together. But just because we speak the same language doesn't mean that it's the same culture. Totally, totally. Whereas like I really grew up with folks who had predominantly the same cultural context as me in like a small white farm town, right? Like it totally different experience. Um, when what I'm curious about here is like from a parenting perspective, you had noted at one point that you know sometimes you have support in exploring like new ways or methods or ideas other than your own and still holding on to that culture that you grew up with. And sometimes you don't have it have that support because you don't feel like explaining it to your loved ones who don't speak the language and necessarily understand the culture that like the energy that it would take to kind of explain here's what I'm trying to do and that it's not because I don't want to hold on to our cultural values but that sometimes it can just feel so isolating navigating kind of that continuum that you're like falling in the middle between like ooh I want to try out these things but also hold on to this culture and I don't necessarily have places to turn to connect about that yeah it can be lonely sometimes because just as you said you there's an awareness almost of where I come from and where I am and where I want to be right so there's almost like three roads and it's like do I keep going can I take this one and if it doesn't work out go back to this one and 
you look back and you almost have to create your own village. You have to kind of see who's on board with not taking the straight road all the time and just kind of jumping, you know, all the time with you. Yeah. And it can be hard because you now you're not just explaining what you're trying to do, but now you have to think of the words in your native language so that they can be on board. And maybe they're not even on board. Maybe they say, you know, maybe they think it's a, you know, bunch of hocus pocus and it's just like, nope, not, not supporting that. So it, it can be a little lonely. And that's why I say you have to build your own village. You know, you have to kind of figure out who's going to be there with you um, that doesn't, isn't sometimes so automatic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's something that like, as you blend cultures gets harder to do, right? Like as, as I'm moving from like, specific things within my white dominant culture to different ideas within the white dominant culture that's one shift and it's not to say that it's not hard there are challenges within like reparenting across the board no matter what you're doing but I think the loneliness of navigating it cross-culturally is a totally different ballgame and we have a history in the U.S. of erasing culture uh, so that you can succeed in whatever that looks like in relationship, professionally, financially, whatever, that we have a race culture or have expected people to a race culture. Um, and then we just call it a melting pot, but in actuality, it's a lot of culture erasure. And I think as we're building more awareness around that and talking about it more, it still is a challenge. It doesn't make that challenge part go away. It's like, what do you do with this though? Have you, I mean, your kids are still younger, so I don't know if this is something you've navigated yet, but will you navigate the discussion around citizenship and uh, your transition from like a Mexican citizen to what your life looked like as you came over and your journey essentially into American citizenship and what that has meant or looked like for you? Yeah, and I think I talk about it with them as developmentally appropriate, you know, so they know that I was born in Mexico, they know that Mexico is different, and I talk about my childhood and my memories, and right now that's what they enjoy. Tell us a story when you did this, and tell us a story when you got in trouble. They love to hear that I got in trouble, too. Um, Like, I didn't do that often, okay? Um, But that's how I'm working on that. That's how I'm kind of, like, telling them, oh, and one day, you know, we in here and we had to leave all of our toys behind and for them that's like why why would you do that you know mm-hmm. um and you know again it's not a talk that has to have a specific date or time or age mm-hmm. it's just infused again in our everyday lives but it, I just try to do little like crumbs of it so that they can start getting familiar with it and then one day you know when they want to have like the full how did it start? How did it end? We'll go through it. Yeah, that's right. Well, you were saying you had just given a talk to a Spanish class at your school mm-hmm. about citizenship specifically. Yeah, they were ta- they were watching a movie on. Um, it's a story about a mother who comes to the U.S. and leaves her son behind, mm-hmm. and so it's a predominantly white school, and so this is probably maybe the first time that they're exposed to such a personal take on what it means to come to a different country. Um, And so then the teacher asked me to come in and further connect that. Like, it's not just in the screen. This is someone in your school that went through it. Yeah, that's rad. I'm glad that they get to hear your story too. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Also, if your kids ever need to hear more stories about someone who's an adult who got in trouble, I have plenty of those. <laughs> this we'll is call Miss Alyssa. Then. That's right. Call Miss Alyssa. Happy to chat. Got plenty to pull from. Um, that's one of Nora's favorite things right now. That's cool. uh, yeah. Rachel's daughter Nora. She'll ask, and she asks Zach, and Zach has very few. And she mm-hmm. got to the point where she was like. I want a different one. And he was like, I can't think of a different one. And I was like, babe, I'm your go-to for that. <laughs> things Come you weren't here. supposed to do. I got tons of them. <laughs> yeah. He's not your guy. Uh- <laughs> well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free 
a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Y'all, 2021 is here. We made it. We have arrived. And that means that Mama's Getaway Weekend is just a few months away. We are going to hang out September 25th and 26th to dive into this work in person. Mama's Getaway Weekend is unlike anything else because in-person events with us are just so different. We dive into different workshops and get to go a little deeper into this work together. It's the only place that I'm presenting in person this year, and we're going to bring guest workshops in as well. It's two days to step out of the day-to-day and build your toolbox. It's so hard to work on systems and do this work on ourselves when we're in the day-to-day. Taking a step back to build your toolbox and to analyze what's going well, what can we tweak, and look at the bigger picture can be so helpful. We have two full days of workshops on Saturday and Sunday, and Saturday night we gather for a mama's mingle where we get to just hang out. You get to be out having adult conversation and finding time to relax and just be. You get to recharge. And bonus, this year I will be bringing my little babe to mama's mingle. We get to all hang out together. Mama's Getaway ticket price is going up at the end of February. So head over to mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag your ticket today. Come join us for this life-changing weekend in Watertown, New York. Mamasgetawayweekend.com. How has this looked for you now? You know, you said you chatted with your husband before having kids and kind of diving into this. What challenges have come up for you like in real time once you got the kiddos there and you're trying to navigate cultural differences in parenting? One of the biggest things is the warmth, you know, like we are such a warm culture. We're constantly like hugging and kissing and, you know, just like touching each other. Um, And I am such an affectionate person to my kids like if I if they walk by I will want a kiss you know and I'll you know ask for a kiss I won't just like plant a kiss um but when they're babies I'm like "Mm," you know just want to eat them up and you know when they fall or when they're hurt it's like try to console them and hug them and you know I don't know if it's because he's a male or he's a white male but he's more like you're good okay you're good. Let's go. And I'm like, wait, they're still crying. Like give it time, you know, they're just little, well, they're fine. I'm like, well, yes, they are fine, but that's not what they need right now. Right. Yeah. And does this ever butt heads? Like, does the like white dominance ever kind of come to the forefront of like, I don't know, I guess an expectation of like, well, here's how we do it or here's what should happen. Or do you guys have just delicious communication and trust and respect? 
I, we do. We have to. You know, I've been married for 12 years. And so that was a commitment that we made to each other before kind of heading into this journey. And I said to him, you know, his parents are are still together. My parents were still together. And we said we would like that to be our story, too. And how does that happen? We have to communicate. And, you know, in the beginning when we used to fight, that kind of brought out some things that, oh, I guess this is how my parents did it, but it doesn't mean that it's how it should be or, you know, um, and we learned a lot from that. And I think it also helped that we didn't have kids for the first five years of our marriage, because then we really got to know each other and we really got to kind of know how to work with each other in the sense that he knew my triggers, I knew his triggers, and not that you have to change for this person, but, you know, if you want things to work, and if you want things to have be open and sort of possible, you know, then you have to talk about them, and you have to deal with them as they happen, because that was one of the biggest things we said. We are not going to let things pile up And then all of a sudden we're going to argue and well, you said this and you said that and you did this and two months ago, you did not do this, you know? So it's, I think that's what, that is the work of marriage, you know, that you have to address things as they come up as little as they may be like, you know, I don't like the way you load the dishwasher (laughs) rather than me just keeping it in and like, well, he doesn't know how to do it. This is just stupid. Why would you do it like this? I'm like, you know what? Can you just not do this, please? And it may not make sense to him whatsoever because, I mean, he's such a practical guy sometimes. He's like, well, they're clean, aren't they? I'm like, yes. <laughs> but they didn't go in the right way. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you pick your battles too. But that's just one easy example. Yeah. Like the dishwasher where it's little, it's insignificant, but you don't want that to be the last layer before the you know, totally. pops all over you. Totally. I think that's like the best marriage advice and something I feel so grateful for with Zach is we learned how to have conflict, right? Like before kiddos have come, we learned how to have conflict, which is in it. We had a lot of uh, bumps to get there. We could call it <laughs> wasn't always gorgeous and pretty. And uh, I've shared about this over on the grandma bit too, that like even with like reparenting work and whatever, I started a lot of this work before he did. And just the challenges of that, of like doing my own work before he was doing his own work and kind of what that had had looked like. But I'm really grateful for the time that we've had before kids as well. And just, yeah, dude, communication about all the things and how different communication can be if I can self-regulate first. I'm the one who always needs to self-regulate. Zach is a very calm, chill human who often says things in the kind, respectful way. And I am the one who's like, why would you load the dishwasher like that? (laughs) You know, like in what world does that make sense? And that's how it wants to come out of my mouth originally. And it takes a lot of effort for me to regulate that and be like, hey, babe, (laughs) and try it a different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think also with when we're raising kids, someone the other day said to me, um, she was taking the reparenting course right now, and she was having challenges with cultural differences with her husband and ways that he wanted to approach things in ways that she was learning about herself, that she was now like, ooh, I don't want him to do this because I'm reparenting that stuff now (laughs) and I don't want our kids to be reparenting that down the road. So she was like starting to notice these things and and realize them and uh, went to have a discussion with him about them. And he was like, my parenting's fine. Like it's working. I'm fine. Like no, just no desire to even like, she was like, I didn't know what to say next. Cause he was just like, yeah, I don't feel like I need to take, because she proposed him taking this class with her so that they could get to know their like childhood patterns and kind of figure out together where they wanted to go from there. And he was just like, I feel like what we, what I have going on is working. Uh, And she was like, what do I do next? Like, it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) You see this? Do you see what's happening over here? Uh, (laughs) That's so funny because it's a very similar conversation to what we had. And he's like, it's fine. I mean, they're great. They're great kids. I'm like, I'm not saying they're not great kids. I'm saying, you know, because a lot of 
my parenting started, like you said, based on how I was parented. And then just through self-awareness and just, again, creating that, that personal village, it's like, wait a minute, like that's not really working anymore. That's not, there's more than just this, you know? And so in a way I feel like, not that I'm reparenting him, but I'm really like, come this way, you know, let me show you the way. And again, not because he doesn't want to, but because the the path that he's on, like, they're great kids. They really are. And I'm like, they are, but. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But this is how these, and this is the thing that I think is really hard for parents across the board, for humans across the board, is that we are looking at these things now. And when you dive into this work, you see not just oh, who they are as a four-year-old, but you're like, I can see how this comes out when they're 14 or when they're 24. And especially with you working in high school, I know at least when I started teaching, I started in kindergarten and I was like, I wish I had this kid as a preschooler so I could like support. And then I got to preschool and I was like, I wish I had them as a toddler so I could really, and I got down to like infant toddler and was like, the next step is the womb. Like, and so then I started working with parents. Like I wish, I wish I could support people from the beginning. Um, but I, I think when you see the like long-term trajectory and we'll see kids when I, when I see a child who is struggling, who's a teenager, or I see an adult who, where I'm seeing like behaviors come out yelling or reacting or whatever. I often see them as a child. I'm like, oh, I know who you are at four. I know who you are at six. And I want to be able to support that four-year-old, right? Whose needs weren't met or who didn't learn another way to do this. And I think as we're doing this work, when you're in it, those things start to come up. And so when you're just in it and you're like, oh, but they're four, you're like, yeah, but I know what this looks like at 24. Yeah. It's so true. And some of the students that I've worked with, you know, first of all, I'm just such a hugger. I'm like, you just need a hug. Like, that's all you need. You just need somebody to hug you. Let's, let's talk about it, you know? But then I also think, let me talk to your mom, you know, (laughs) because I also see that this 14 year old as a four year old who just wants to connect, who doesn't know how to say, Hey, I need a hug from you every once in a while, or I need you to tell me that you love me you know? Um, and so, yes, I completely agree. It, it, you see them at 14 and you see the four-year-old, but then you also see in a way, a little bit of that parenting relationship. Totally. Totally. And I think that's what can come up with us. As, that's what came up for me as I was like doing this work. There was one point where I just had turned to Zach and was just like, but if that habit continues when we have kids, like, here's how that plays out. And that's my fear is that like, here's how that will play out. And that's what you'll, that this will mean for your relationship with our future children. And he was just like, oh, I guess I never like thought about it. Like that. it didn't seem like a big deal. And I was like, it's not a big deal in isolation. <laughs> and I think it's so hard to see that in the moment with the tiny humans. Mm-hmm. And I think we started to see that with our oldest, when our oldest turns around and says the same things to our youngest you know, how we would say them to her, positive or not so positive. We're like, we need to adjust that right away. Or, okay, something is working. You know, like the other day, my middle one was angry and was just, I don't know, he was throwing a fit about something. And our older daughter turned around and said, it's okay to be angry. You could go to the calm down corner. And when you're ready, you can come back and we can talk about it. I was like, who are you? Why don't you go to the calm down corner? (laughs) Right. Could you take this advice at some point? (laughs) But it was also so rewarding and comforting and exciting to hear her say that because then, you know, hopefully next time she takes her own advice and does go to the calm down corner, you know, when she's angry. Yeah. And at least, you know, that like that lives within her. She knows that that's a choice when she can access it, which is so huge. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. I, it, it is so interesting for me to think about too, I guess, I wonder how much of it is gendered and the culture around just gender that we so clearly have here in the States. And there's different, I was saying to this gal who I was talking to the other day, whose husband was just like, 
I don't need to do this reparenting work. I'm good. Uh, I was saying to her, like, I do have such compassion for him because I think now we are like, okay, we're going to do things a little differently than had been done for us when we were kids. And we have been raised in, in the binary girls and women in the States have been raised with a certain skill set or certain expectations of like, yeah, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to talk to a friend about your feelings. All these things that we have created as a norm here in the States versus for dudes were not norms. And Zach and I were recently having this conversation. I was like, what was it like for you when, you know, his parents navigated divorce, they've been on the podcast before and uh, just like just life challenges as they came up. I was like, who did you turn to? And he was like, well, I like really like to draw and I played music, but there wasn't an acceptable space to be like, I'm really sad right now to a friend, you know, like, because like verbally safe. It was all action based. Yeah, exactly. And so I said to this woman, I was like, I have such compassion for your husband because now we're like, okay, we want you to do this differently. And we didn't give you any of the tools to do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Just like show up in a totally different way than you were parented Mm -hmm. and good luck. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's wild. And I don't think it's a realistic expectation versus like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take steps towards differences, you know, like in changes and habits and patterns and continuing that conversation part that you keep coming back to and communication is, I think, so huge, not just when we're navigating cultural differences, but just across the board of like, what was your social programming? Mm-hmm. What is your expectation with this? You know, I mean, there are times where there's a behavior and we address it. And if one of us isn't comfortable the way that it was addressed, it's, I mean, we do take the time right there and then and say, can you tell me why you did that? I just need to understand it. And then, you know, I'll explain. And then he'll say, I think that was a bit harsh for what that was, for that behavior. You know, and it, it is so helpful to me because from... the way that I'm coming in my culture like that is acceptable that is what we do when this happens and to have my partner my best friend say like hey tone it down a little bit yeah I could you know the world's not gonna end or this is not gonna mean that forever this will continue to happen if I don't address it this way specifically so um yeah it's, it's nice to have that. It's helpful to have that. And again, I go back to that thing, no matter how small it is, we have to address it right away. Yeah. I think that's so important. And, and I like that you also brought up the fear component of like, well, if I didn't address it in this way, in this moment, will this continue down the road? What will it look like? And I think so much of when we like react to behavior. It's a fear of, ooh, this behavior isn't something I want to have continue. And I'm afraid that it will continue if I don't come down like in a harsh manner or or let them know that this is not okay or have some sort of consequence or punishment, whatever your cultural context is there. But it all comes from this place of fear of like, Mm -hmm. I don't want this to continue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, Sam Casey talked about that in the attachment episode. I think she did a really good job, like really diving into that. Uh, And I think that's what I heard. You know, I did that dad's workshop about a year ago now. And it was just dads. And that's what kept coming up there in terms of questions was like, it was this fear of, okay, but if I don't do this, if I don't punish them for this, won't they just keep doing it? And then they're going to be a disrespectful teenager. They're going to be this human who does this down the road. And it's this, it's this fear of like, will it stop? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time too, it's almost slowing your brain down and jumping from this happened. This is the way that it needs to be addressed to, okay, this happened. What does it mean? And I love what you say about getting curious, because I think one of the biggest most effective ways to slow down your thinking is to ask yourself questions. What is happening? What is he trying to tell me right now? Why, you know, why would he go and jump off the couch in the middle of dinner? Like, what what is going on right now? You know, um, why is he scooping poop out of his diaper in his crib? <laughs> right, right. Why? Why? Sometimes it's hard, you know, and sometimes it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, 
but I think as much as, as possible, if you can stop and, and have that, you know, we call them replacement thoughts. So I work with my students a lot on automatic thoughts and replacement thoughts. And so I try to take my own advice. It's like, okay, what is my replacement thought going to be? A question. What is my question going to be? <laughs> Why? I love that. I love that. Well, and it does, I like that it's automatic versus replacement, right? And for me, that's reactive versus responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, the automatic is reactive. It's what we do based off of what we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we and, and when we're doing that, we are not accessing our whole brain. <laughs> right. You literally cannot at that point be making a rational decision. Um, yeah, I think that's so huge and so hard to do in the moment. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. One way that I like to show them like how their brain automatically jumps to things is, I don't know if you remember, but a number of years ago, there were these really funny insurance commercials where it was a situation, but then somebody walks into the situation and it is completely not what it's portrayed to be. So one of them is a guy who is making making a romantic meal for her for his partner and he got flowers and he's setting the table and he's cooking the pasta sauce, which is red, but then the cat jumps on the counter and knocks the sauce off and jumps into it. So the guy picks up the cat and then has a knife on the other hand because he had it to begin with as he was chopping onions. And in that moment, she opens the door and he sees like a red stain on the floor with the guy with the cat in one hand and a knife in the other. And so I always pause and say, what is the automatic thought? You know, and then they're like, she, you know, he's going to kill her. They're going to have cat for dinner. And, you know, all these like things that it's just so accurate. Right. And then we work on, okay, what could her replacement thought be? Because we have thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and they all impact each other. So if you have an automatic thought, what do you think she's going to feel? And what do you think she's going to do? Right. She might break up with the guy when he was trying to be so nice and just make her a romantic meal. And so then I go into um, replacement thoughts. And so if she's really happy in the relationship, what could she do as she walks in on this? And most of the time it's a question, what is going on or what happened or why is he doing that? You know, and then we talked about, okay, if that is your thought, how does then it translates to what kind of feelings you might have and what kind of actions that might you do based on those feelings? Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I love yeah, this. I, <laughs> and they really jump on it because of that 
visual video. You know, I think it's totally. so important to have that, but it's, it also lightens the mood too. You know, I'm most of the time talking about grades and, um, you know, I tell them I'm not the grade police, but I do check your grades. Okay. So we got to talk about them, um, but it's nice to have, you know, the visual and that relationship with them too, because this impacts them in other areas of their life. Yeah, I think it impacts all of us. And like, as you were saying that, I was like, I love that for just all of us as humans mm -hmm. to be able to develop. And I think especially so much of what we're talking about today just makes me think of reparenting work where we're reparenting work is really just getting to know what's coming up from our childhood, mm -hmm. <laughs> getting to mm -hmm. know those automatic thoughts and where do they come from? Mm -hmm. And what, what replacement thoughts do I want to have? Yeah. And that for me, like in a nutshell, is reparenting work. Yeah. And sometimes I will think of myself as a parent. How do I want to feel? Right? Yeah. Do I want to feel like I'm just yelling? Do I want to feel like I'm not getting anywhere? You know, and I use how I want to feel as like a goal, but then I work around that and make a plan. Okay, if that's how I want to feel, what do I have to do? And then if that's what I want to do, what do I need to kind of think or have the mindset of as I walk into a really difficult situation? Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. And what just like popped up for me there was around guilt. And I think so one of the biggest things in motherhood specifically, but I think parenthood in general is this idea of guilt. And uh, so many of us, I think would say like, I don't want to feel, I want to feel rested. I want to feel intentional. I want to feel present. Mm -hmm. And what does it take to get there? And for all of us, that'll be different. And sometimes it's time away. Maybe it's working. Maybe it's having time with friends. Maybe it's setting a timer and saying, I'm not answering questions for 10 minutes. Like whatever that looks like for you, like what restores you so that you can be present. And I think when we can look at it as like, it's so that I can be present when I'm there, mm -hmm. but that could be helpful with the guilt side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me right now, I'm working part-time and I can say that, you know, I'm a better parent when I have time to work. And I, the way I explain it to my mom is I am not just a mom, you know, I'm a school psychologist. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. When I had kids, all those things don't get erased, you know? Mm -hmm they're still part of my life. And so I absolutely would give my life for my kids and I would do anything for them. But I also want to be the best version of me. And that means giving something to the world, not just to them, if that makes sense. Like totally. not giving myself entirely just to them, you know, but also giving something to the world to make it better for them. Yeah, totally. And just because it fills your cup, you know, like even if it's like, I'm going to read a book or I'm going to paint a picture or I'm going to go chat with a friend, like those can all be things that fill you up and help you show up as a more regulated present human. And I think, again, when we look at gender, I think that this is something we have normalized more for men than for women. I, it, there are two humans that are so dear to me in life and they're in a hetero relationship and dad consistently in every season has something that he does that fills him up. He was in like a soccer league and then he skis in the winter season and like has something that fills him up. And it's a non-negotiable for him. He's like, when I do this, I'm a better dad. When I do this, I want to be home when I'm home and I can be present and more regulated. And he will make sure that it happens. Even if like she has something going on, he will find a babysitter. He will figure it out. He will make sure that it happens. And she has a harder time doing that, right? Like she's like, oh, I want to take this Pilates class, but then like, what are we going to do with whatever? And I was like, that's, he can do bedtime by himself, just like you do when he goes to soccer league, <laughs> you know, like, and, and he would say the same thing. He's like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah. You it's know? so funny. It reminds me a lot of like that division of labor. It's so true because even for some things like grocery grocery shopping, like, are you sure you're going to be okay? All right, I'm going to go. Um, call me if you need anything, okay? <laughs> and when he needs to do something, he's like, I'm going to go get the car swash. Peace out. You know, and he knows that it's going to get taken care of. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that he will take great care of the kids while I'm away, but it's always like, 
I don't know, it seems like I'm asking permission, but I'm not asking permission and I don't feel like I need to ask permission, but it's always like checking in where, you know, he has this more, like you said, automatic reply or permission to just be like, I have to go do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I think it's so much of our cultural context mm-hmm. and like what we were raised in, what we know, what we were exposed to and getting to know those thoughts when they come up of like, oh man, I'm feeling really guilty when I do this, or this comes up a lot in the discussion around mama's getaway. I have had dads who have reached out and been like, my wife would love this, but she won't go. Like, how do I get her to go? <laughs> that like, she feels too guilty to leave. Push and, her out the door. <laughs> yeah, right. And he's like, I'm afraid if I buy her a ticket, she'll say like, oh, I can't take the weekend away. Like, that's what she keeps saying. And he was like, but she would love it and we'd be fine. And I've gotten so many messages like this from dads. And I, it makes me just really think about, again, this reparenting work of getting to know like, if you feel like you can't take care of yourself or what would it look like for you to show up as the human you want to show up as? And how do you do that without feeling guilt throughout the process? You know, but instead feeling maybe proud of yourself for like, oh, I'm doing this thing that then helps me show up as a regulated human. Or as you were saying, like, what do I want to feel as a parent? If I don't want to be yelling all of the time, what does it look like? What do I need in order to not be in that space and figuring out for you as an individual, what do you need? uh, And how do you meet those needs without navigating guilt throughout the whole process? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to something like mama's getaway, it's, you know, it's, you're a team with your partner. And so it's, sort of tag teaming the whole situation. And I think there's less guilt, at least for me, when I know there's a plan in place, if this happens, you know, not that I have to create the plan, but just hearing that it has been thought about, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, we're good. You know, you know, again, I, I know he can handle it. He's great. He's great at it. You know, I go somewhere and everybody's happy and they're having a great time. And it's like, oh, okay, perfect. I I worried for nothing, but I think having that conversation or at least being aware of like, okay, he knows where the hospital is. He knows, you know, who, you know, what this one likes, what this one doesn't. And again, they do know because they're parenting with you, but it's that saying it out loud that really, um, I don't know what the expression is, but maybe like locks it in. You're like, okay, good to go. Totally. And I think really, again, like for me, I'm like, Ooh, I want to dive into that deeper. I want to know like, Ooh, what's the cultural context around here? What is it about us that we're like, I need to make sure there's a plan in place. But when he leaves, he's like, you've got it. You've always, you've always made sure there's a plan in place, (laughs) you know, like like big picture versus all of the little details, you know? And there was one night that I was talking to him and I'm like, Oh, I feel like I didn't do so good today. He's like, what do you mean? It was just the biggest mystery to him. Like, why would you say that? Look at them. They went to bed happy. They smiled. They had a good meal. They played. Like, why would you say you weren't a good mom today? And then I like come out with the list of like, well, this happened and this happened. And I reacted this way and this way. And he's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, they know you love them. And, you know, you're human. You know, yeah, tomorrow's a different day. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, good night. <laughs> totally, totally. I feel like Zach and I actually fall into the opposite camps there, where like he will hang on to and be like, oh my gosh, like I dropped the ball in these places. And I'm constantly like, yeah, that's part of life, dude. <laughs> like, you are a human. And I also, uh, I think with teaching toddlers and infants, there wasn't a single day in my whole life where I've left and been like, I was perfect today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think when you do it for so long in like, it was, it's my career that it was just like, that's the expectation at this point is that I will leave and know there were things that weren't perfect today. Mm-hmm. And that we can try again. Yeah. And I think also the transition from, you know, one to more siblings has helped me too, because now I know my life is a circus, no matter what, no matter when, no matter how, mm-hmm. my life is a circus. It's just the degree of how little of a circus or how big of a circus it is. But, you know, and now with a third, I mean, I still call him a baby, but he's 
two years old, right? Um, he'll always be your baby. Yeah, he'll. I asked him. I said, "Do you always want to be Mama's baby?" Yeah. I said, "Do you want Mama to have another baby?" Yeah. I said, "But then you wouldn't be the baby." And he goes, "No, baby, Mama." <laughs> so I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> sweet little face. <laughs> um, but I think he has really changed me in that you know they all have you know they, for different things for different purposes but I think him being the last one it's like well it's always going to be messy it's always going to be a circus it's just part of who we are as a family unit now yeah my mom referred to it as organized chaos mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> as one of five kids I had asked her I interviewed her for the podcast and I asked her I was like Ma, how did you like She's the calmest human that I know. And I was like, how? There are five of us. There's a million schedules and sports things. And this kid has that. And there's always something. And she was like, but that's just it, Alyssa. There was just always going to be something. And I was like, what a cool perspective to be like, oh, my expectation is there will always be something. (laughs) (laughs) And so it doesn't catch me off guard because that's my expectation is like, yeah this is what it's going to be. And I remember at one point, a family was dropping off their infant and it was their first kiddo in childcare. And I was teaching infants at the time. And she, mom dropped off in the morning and she was like, doesn't the busyness of it just like deplete you? And I was like, it's my norm. Like it, no, it's just my norm. Like, I don't notice the busyness of it. And you have seven infants. There's always at least one person crying for something. There's always someone who needs a basic need met of a diaper change or a nap or a bottle, whatever. And you have seven babies. And I was like, that's just the expectation for me right now. Like when it's quiet and people are chill, it feels a little uncomfortable. <laughs> like something's about to happen. What, yeah, I'm like, how long do we have here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think you're you're so right when it like that transition to one, I think, can be harder than the transition to two or then three or beyond, where you're like, okay, now I just know like this is what it's gonna be. I'm not gonna meet everybody's needs all the time. It is always going to be triage and that that's okay. Yeah, and, and your norm changes, you know, like it's a, at this point, my life from what it was seven years ago is very far from, yeah. you know, what it used to be. And it's, it sounds depressing, but it's not because it's a new life with new challenges and new fun experiences and, you know, new rewarding uh, moments. And so, yes, it's not what it used to be, but it's so much more richer in a sense. And I think for us, you know, it was good to have those five years in our marriage to get to know each other, each other. But then it was also hard to bring this baby into that because it's like, well, wait a minute, you're supposed to be asleep now. Why aren't you asleep? Or you're supposed to eat. Why aren't you eating? You know, she was a preemie. And so um, it was a doctor's appointment that turned into you will be going home with a baby in two days. And that was chaotic in it. just it was chaotic period and then bringing her home 18 days after she was born was kind of like okay what do we do now and she's okay somebody said you know this like they eat and they sleep but there's so much that happens to make those things happen (laughs) you know so it's not that easy Totally. They don't just eat and sleep. <laughs> they right. just and happen. She, yeah. yeah. She had like some feeding issues. So I was always watching like the ounces like a hawk and, you know, it's like, is she eating enough? Is she not eating enough? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Do we go to the hospital? Do we stay home? Like, you know. Right. Yeah. I think especially again with that first one where you're like, everything is new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think like for me, when I, as we've navigated this, the key takeaways really come back to that constant communication and reparenting work ourselves so that we can have that communication in a respectful manner that if we're just saying communicate with each other, but we're not doing our own work in the process, then the communication does look like, why would you load the dishwasher like that? Right. And I think when you're reparenting, communicating about that to your partner, because you may start the work and finish the work, but they don't get to see the in-betweens and the whys in the house. And so then it's like, why are you doing that? You didn't used to do that. You know, what just happened? But, 
you know, as you're reparenting, maybe talk about, you know, this came up for me and this, or I realized this, and this is how I plan on addressing it now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so helpful. And that when I had started the work myself and I was going through stuff, it was really focused on anxiety. I was living at that point with a lot of anxiety and, uh, just didn't want to (laughs) and started to figure out like, where's this all coming from? What does it look like? What are these patterns and habits? And had communicated with Zach, like not only here's my patterns and habits and why I'm, what I'm working toward and what I would like to have and how I'd like to be able to live, but also here are ways that like would be helpful for me, for you to show up in this with me. And he was a hundred percent on board because also he was living with me while I was living with anxiety, which is, <laughs> you know, a whole other cup of tea for him. He's like, yeah, please let's work on it. <laughs> and, but it, I like gave him a like here stuff. And then as he saw this work changing, how I got to live the day-to-day of my life and how I communicated with him and the amount of energy and stress or whatever I was showing up with, we're not showing up with, he was like, okay, like intrigued, like, okay, seeing results, we'll take this in. <laughs> and then he got to a place where he was like, hmm, here's some things that I've noticed. And I'd be like, yeah, interesting. And like, then we could dive into those and support him in his, and would ask him like, what would be most supportive for me as you are figuring out what this means for you or what you want or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because he would say things like, oh, I, it's just so frustrating when X, Y, and Z happens. And I would say, I wonder if it has to be that frustrating. Yeah. And he finally was like, oh yeah, I guess maybe it doesn't, but he had to see me kind of have some results. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Before he was like, all right, I'll buy in. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, he can be an impatient person because he's such a quick thinker. Like he figures things out easily, fast. And I'm not, you know, I like to talk about things and process them and think, well, maybe if we do this or if we do that, or maybe this happened, or maybe he felt this way. And he's just like, no, there right now, hurry up. And for me, like reparenting work was about yelling less. You know, I felt like that was my go-to and I didn't like it. And again, it you're going from kind of how you were parented. And yeah, my mom was, you know, kind of a yeller sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and just him seeing a different way to do things and a different way to approach it. You know, now his impatience turns into that curiosity and those questions are like, can you tell me why, you know, there's Play-Doh on the ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) Help me understand. Yeah. I think about that glitter, like help me understand where the glitter is going. There was a, I don't know if it was a podcast episode or a post, but there was something about glitter and it's like, yes, that is so true. Like as hard as it is, it's like, okay, help me understand why. I mean, our middle one is just I don't know. He's amazing, but he, he does things that are so hard to understand sometimes. Like, help me understand why you would put your fingers in the soup and try to scoop it out when you have a spoon right next to you. Tell me more about your plan for yeah. this. <laughs> oh, such hard questions to ask in the moment. Mariana, you know that I could hang out with you forever. This is just a nice little time for us to get to hang. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for joining me and chatting. And for folks who are like, what is this reparenting jazz? I want to dive in deeper. You can head on over. We have a reparenting class that you can actually pair and bundle with our tiny humans, big emotions class. If you want to do both at the same time of like, what is this stuff for me from my childhood? And then how is it coming out and how do I support the tiny humans and respond with intention to them? We offer a bundle there. You can come snag that bad boy. And when you join our tiny humans, big emotions and reparenting classes, you get access to Marianne all the time. She's the one that supports you behind the scenes and in our private groups, diving into these questions with you and does the add-on coaching calls for them as well. Mariana, I love you. I love you too. This was so much fun. This is the best. I hope that you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. You do the same, Miss Alyssa. Thanks. (laughs) 
Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.